This is Van Color. Hey folks, my name is Mo Amir and this is Van Color, British Columbia's bonafide culture and politics TV talk show right here on Check and Check Plus. Happy New Year! We're gonna kick off 2022 with a very special guest. She is an award-winning Canadian broadcasting icon, a community leader who volunteers thousands of hours in her advocacy for healthcare and the well-being of women, children, and people with disabilities. She started Down Syndrome BC, a registered charity committed to seeing members of BC's Down Syndrome community living their best and fullest lives. A recipient of the Order of British Columbia, currently she hosts the Telus Talks podcasts, which you can find wherever you listen to your podcasts. She is my friend, Tamara Tagger Tamara. <laughs> So nice to see you. Look at you. You're all grown up. You're on TV. This is so great. Thanks to a lot of support from you. You gave me a lot of behind the scenes advice on what to do. I appreciate it. Happy New Year. We made it. Oh boy. Barely, I feel. (laughs) Yeah, we made it. Are you feeling optimistic heading into 2022? Yeah, I have to. You have to. By necessity. Yeah, I have three kids and, um, you know, uh, me and my husband are both self-employed and mm-hmm. I think that I have to do my best uh, to have a positive outlook on what's ahead. Right. I yeah. just feel like there is a little more anxiety heading oh. into this year than heading into 2021. 2021, we were like, the vaccines are coming. This thing's going to be over. Oh, listen, between you and I, yeah. like, I'm a mess. I am <laughs> filled with anxiety and grief and worry and stress. And um, so on the outside, yes, I'm looking forward to a great 2022. On the inside, I think I'm like everybody else. I'm I'm riddled with anxiety and fear. And I was just going to say, yeah, I think everyone feels like that. I actually, in 2021 tried to reduce my toxic positivity because I was that way as well, where you're radiating all this optimism. And sometimes, you know, you have to be a little more sympathetic and sensitive to understanding that everyone is feeling anxious. Yeah, no, it's a, it's, it's a horrible time. I mean, I think, no, I'm not saying that to be... We just did a 180 there, Tamara. Well, you're making me be truthful now. So I was like, oh yeah, it's going to be a great year. Uh, no, I mean, it is a terrible time and it's a really hard time to be a parent. It's yeah. extremely hard hard to be a parent. Uh, parenting is hard to begin with, but you throw in a pandemic that doesn't seem like it's ever going to end. And it's just worry upon worry upon worry. So. Yeah. And we will get into that in a little bit. Mm-hmm. One of my resolutions for 2022 is to learn more from you. Because every time we chat... I feel like I'm learning a lot, and it actually makes me a slightly better person. Oh, brother. Okay. That makes me I feel learned. Nice. Yes. And I'm, I, I almost feel silly for saying this, because I know a lot of women are aware of this. Probably all women are aware of this. The word hysteria, or categorizing someone as hysterical, historically has a very discriminatory connotation. Mm. And you help teach me what that is. Well, it's interesting, because I think that, you know... As women, we really pick up on some keywords that are used to describe us, that mm-hmm. have been used to describe us historically and currently, especially with the government and around the pandemic and maybe how we're reacting to things like education or healthcare or worrying about our children or whatever it might be. And one of the words that really came up uh, being used by our government to describe how parents, a.k.a women uh, were acting about things was hysterical or Mm. hysteria or anxiety, like all these words, right? Like, oh, you're anxious. You're an anxious mother or you're a hysterical mother, a hysterical Mm. female, a hysterical woman. And it's a really awful word to be using for women. Because Because it's not just a brush aside. There is a history behind this word, right? There's a massive history behind this word. Do you ever hear the word hysterical being used to describe a man? Very rarely. Exactly. And if it is used to describe a man, it means he's unmanly, usually. Right. Right? So, um, hysteric is, uh, the origin of the word is is Greek, and it means the womb. 
Okay. So a a hysterical woman is, you know, an emotional woman. It was a a mental health condition, really. And Mm -hmm. a hysterectomy is when you remove a woman's uterus and baby-making parts, if you will. And um, so that's how they used to cure women of mental health issues, being too emotional. And this was like a quote-unquote, legitimate medical diagnosis. Yes. And you taught me that it was diagnosed for women who either were experiencing anxiety, a whole host of different things, even just a lowered sex drive, and you would be yes. hysterical. Hysterical, or too emotional. Right. Or uh, overreacting, or raising your voice. I mean, these are all words that are used against women, right? Shrill. Yeah. We're, you know, we're hysterical, we're um, anxious, we're out of control, we're all of these things that have to do with mental health, Mm -hmm. if you will. And so the best way to fix a woman of that would be to remove her womb, uh, and then she won't be hysterical anymore. So, you know, put all that aside, because when when you look at the word hysterical, and you research what that word means, then mm-hmm. maybe you wouldn't use that word yeah. to describe women. Or maybe you wouldn't use that word to describe mothers who are worried about their children in a pandemic right. <laughs> going to school where it seems very unsafe. Yeah. You know? And so when we speak up and out and against uh, the government or, uh, you know, the policymakers or the bureaucrats were called hysterical. Don't get hysterical about this. Don't be, you know, And the emotional. fascinating part is this is not that long ago. This isn't like Salem witch trials. This, I mean, it was yeah. in the American Psychiatrics Association DSM until 1980. Yes. <laughs> so it's not we're not that far long removed. Ago. <laughs> no, not at all. And so when I hear... Um, you know, our premier used the word hyster- hysterical or hysteria mm-hmm. uh, to describe how parents are reacting to something. It, you know, it makes me think that this is somebody who has no idea about the language they're using, because we all know that words matter and language matters, especially right. when we're talking about public health. And you are taking back that word. At least you tried to this year with a yeah. T-shirt line with Madame Premier, a yeah. politically conscious clothing brand. Yeah. And it says hysterical woman. So you're taking it back now. Well, I mean, it's just like, what else are you going to do, right? We have to take back those words yeah. because, you know, it's for a man to call a woman hysterical is so awful and so offensive. It's offensive. Mm-hmm. And a man would never put up with that. Yeah. You know, it, you're, no one's calling a man hysterical, like we said, right? I learn so much from you. And something I learned recently was actually me coming to you and asking you about the term special needs, because I had seen in passing that some disability advocates were saying that this term is inappropriate and, in fact, inaccurate. However, I still see people in media, in politics, using the term special needs. And Mm. you broke it down for me in terms of why this is not appropriate or even accurate. So can you explain that again? Yeah, I mean, the number one reason why it's not um, appropriate and shouldn't be used is because people with disabilities are telling us to stop. (laughs) So that's the number Mm. one reason, right? Disabled people Mm. do not want the term special needs used. Yeah, And, um, you know, special needs is not going to save us from anything. Uh, it doesn't give us any power to fight because special needs is not covered in the Canadian Charter of Rights. Disability mm. is. People with disabilities are in the Canadian Charter of Human Rights, right? Right. But uh, special needs is not. And it's same with the United Nations Declaration for People with Disabilities. It's not people with special needs. 25% of Canadians have a disability, mm-hmm. not special needs. Um, so we need to own that word. You know, we were talking about ownership of the word hysterical. Well, it's ownership of the word disability. Yeah. It's not a bad word. It was made bad by non-disabled people. 
Right. Trying to fix every disability there is. Because if you have a disability in the eyes of non-disabled people, there's something wrong with you. So part of this issue seems to be reconceptualizing this idea of disability. Because you and I were chatting and I was saying, you know, if I don't have my glasses on and I'm in downtown Vancouver, I'm having a much different experience than than with my glasses. Mm-hmm. And, and disability mm-hmm. is usually seen in this very narrowed, almost othering sense, right? Well, it's like somebody who uses a wheelchair. Are they any less than me or you because we don't use wheelchairs? Of course not. Exactly. But... It is, we live in an ableist society where, you know, you and I don't notice if there's a curb cut or not. Exactly, yeah. And we take that for granted every single day. And we're not fighting for curb cuts. Mm -hmm. We're not fighting for elevators. We're not fighting for plastic straws that some disabled people need to eat, right? Mm -hmm. Instead, you know, ableists, and we live in a very ableist society where we think that everything has to be perfect and non-disabled. And that's just not a reality. We all move through disability our entire lives. Mm -hmm. When I had cancer, I was disabled. And now I don't have cancer. Uh, When I was pregnant and had a C-section, I was disabled, yeah. You know, migraines, chronic migraines, that's a disability. Like there's so many things, yet we've put this, you know, and the pandemic has really highlighted a lot of it. It's interesting that we live in what I would call a, a sensitive time. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean it in a time that is sensitive to how words are used. And yet you still will have politicians. People politicians in media never say, say the word. Oh, they don't disability. say the word anymore. I've never heard them I might say be wrong No, 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 yeah. no. They say special needs oh, all they, the time. Okay, that's what I mean. I yeah. never hear politicians say disability or disabled. Why? Why is that? I have no idea. Maybe because we have so many disabled Canadians living in poverty. Maybe because we have so many disabled Canadians who are not getting equal access to healthcare Hmm. or housing or employment or funds to survive in a pandemic. You know, when CERB is $2,000, but the disability payment is a one-time $600 payment. I don't know. Maybe that's why they don't want to say the word disability. Mm. I have no idea why they won't say it, but they need to start saying it Mm -hmm. because special needs means nothing. It means nothing in education. It means nothing in healthcare. It's disability. And that's what, you know, and, and people have to start saying the word and have to start acknowledging how little value we put on disabled Canadians Mm -hmm. that even in a pandemic, if, if it hasn't, you know, highlighted just how bad things are for disabled Canadians in this pandemic, I, I don't know what else will change. Let's pull back a second and, and talk about parenting during a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Sorry, you're, I was getting real fired up there. No, I loved it. <laughs> and I want you to get fired up about this as well. You're a mother of three. Your son has Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. When we look at the relief and support provided during the pandemic for children, but particularly for children with disabilities, how has it been for you personally? Okay, so and, wait, and let's, looking, let's back looking, up your question sure. there. You said the relief for children... Supports. Um, okay, supports for children. What supports for children? What supports have you seen for any child? I don't have a child, so I'm but, not sure. But do you know what I mean? Like, I don't think there's been any supports for any children when it comes to education in this pandemic. Right. We're, we're sending kids to school that were unvaccinated. We're sending them to school without a mandate for max, ma- mass for a long time. Uh, there's no rapid test. There's no, you know, we're talking about going back to school and um, we're in the middle of a really bad wave right now. Teachers aren't mandated to be vaccinated. Mm-hmm. They're not mandated to wear N95s. We have no idea what our ventilation system is like in any school because there's never been any transparency with any of that. So it's really bad for kids with disabilities in school, but I would say it's not safe for any kids anywhere right now because we have a huge population of children up to five years old that don't even have access to a vaccine. Right. And why do you think that that's being overlooked or neglected in the way that it has? Because clearly in so many households, the daily schedule of a child, their education mm-hmm. is central to that mm-hmm. household, right? You plan your whole life mm-hmm. and schedule around when they go to school and, and when they come home. Mm-hmm. Why are we not seeing the supports that perhaps we need? Because 
we have to keep people working and the economy is more important than anything else, even the safety of our children. And that's why they have to go to school so they can be looked after during the day by other adults so their parents can go to work. Right. That's the reality. Yeah. I mean, it has to be said out loud. We have we have the knowledge, we have everything we need to support teachers and EAs and support workers and children to go to school in a safe way. It's not about, you know, this should we or shouldn't we or online or not online. It's like it should be the most important thing we do is keeping people safe. Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen it happening in schools. I really, truly haven't. And when you raise your voice or you ask too many questions or you cause, you know, a storm on Twitter or whatever it might be because you're asking questions about something, you were labeled as a hysterical mother. You're labeled as, you know, too loud, uh, a problem or whatever it might be. When really at the end of the day, we just want our kids to be safe and we want the people teaching them to be safe and the people supporting them to be safe. Has anyone told you that you should run for office? (laughs) (laughs) That was a, that was, I mean, it was from the heart and I know it was genuine, but but it's true. It speaks to a lot of people. It's true. And we all know this. And Mm -hmm. that's what's so frustrating about all of this, right? Yeah. Just call it what it is. And then let's try to keep everybody as safe as we can. Like the rapid, holding back rapid tests from people is just, I don't even understand it. Yeah. We need all the tools in the toolbox. Everything should be family centered when it comes to children, right? Deciding what is best for our kids. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to decide whether to send your kid to school or not. It's really, really hard for everybody. Well, I know a lot of people appreciate your advocacy. A lot of people like me might want to see you in the halls of power, but you have been keeping busy. (laughs) Just as we wrap up here, tell me about Down Syndrome BC. Oh, yeah. So it's, you know, it's been a dream of mine for a long time to gather all of the parents and self-advocates and uh, caregivers, people who love somebody with Down syndrome, mm-hmm. uh, into one spot where we can really have a united voice because we'd never really had that. Mm-hmm. Um, we're always kind of scattered. There's no research or data on people with Down syndrome in this country, how many people there are, what their lives are like, anything about them, right? And so that, those are the things we want to do. Um, we, we don't take any government money. Nobody can tell us what to do. And the reality of it is, of it is that I... I wanted to start it once um, Florence Gerard and her death was announced. And mm-hmm. Florence Gerard was the 53-year-old woman with Down syndrome who was found uh, dead in her caregiver's home, and she had starved to death. And this was, oh, 18 months ago now or two years ago now. And so that was really the catalyst for starting Down Syndrome BC because if we if we don't have a united voice – this is just going to keep happening, right? It's just going to keep happening. And we will, our, our, my son will be shut away yeah. when he turns 19 and, and many other kids and, and adults will be too. And we can't have that. Well, I think it's fantastic work. Thank you for that. And I hope uh, everyone supports you in, in whatever ventures you, you uh, carry on with, because I know you're a very strong voice for a lot of parents and a lot of people in this province. Aww. So thank you, Tamara. Thanks for having me. Of course. We are now in the podcast exclusive part of my chat with Tamara Tagger. Tamara, mm. so fun to chat with you. <laughs> I missed you. I feel like I haven't seen anybody. It, I know? haven't seen you since this time last year. Yeah. And this time last year, we did that epic two-hour podcast. <laughs> I was actually listening to it here and there uh, as I was running errands over the holidays in preparation to, to chat with you. That was a great podcast that is a, a perfect episode for me in so many ways because we touched on so many different things yeah it was emotional and and i was thinking about this there is hours of us chatting in podcast form running the the breath of emotions yeah laughing crying yeah um, i know talk, talking smack sometimes you know here and there yeah and it's funny when i reflect back to our conversations our conversations are like they're always fun and interesting and I look forward to them and all of that but we never we never spend any time just without a mic on you and I because we're in a <laughs> pandemic and whenever we make plans to do something it you know there's another you know more restrictions in place or there's this or there's that or I'm worried about my kids or somebody's not vaccinated you know what I mean and so it's yeah. just nice to see you 
thank you. It is a pleasure to see you. And I will say you're, you are probably correct. A lot of it is with Mike's on, but a lot of it is with Mike's off too. I mean, I'm mm. always, and, and when I say that, yeah, when true. I said that in the, in the television program as well, like I have come to you asking you for advice or like, Hey, what that's do you true. think about this? Yeah, and, you're right. You're and right. I appreciate you always being there for me. Well, you know, that's nice what friends you. are for. <laughs> Oh, didn't Dion Warwick sing that song, right? <laughs> I've told everyone that we're best friends. So Aww. just in case that comes okay. back to you, I'll, you have to I'll help agree me with out. it when somebody asks me. <laughs> I want to I want to go back to what we were discussing on the uh, the television segment about children with disabilities mm-hmm. in, in this province. Mm-hmm. So the BC government faced a lot of backlash in their decision to phase out direct funding to families with autistic kids because they're planning to move to a hub model, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. has families very concerned because they've seen hub models in different jurisdictions not work out particularly well or provide mm-hmm. the services that are needed. You obviously, as I've mentioned, use your platform to advocate to advocate for kids with disabilities. Mm-hmm. Can you just sort of mm-hmm. explain what the government is doing here and why families who have children with autism are really concerned? Okay, so first of all, you asked me to explain what the government is doing, and I can't do that because <laughs> I don't think they know what they're doing when it comes to this. You know, I yeah. can't explain what they're doing. I I honestly don't think that this has been thought through. Yeah. So they they sprung this idea, this announcement at the end of October uh, on everybody. We're going to go to this hub system and the individualized funding for uh, families who have a child with autism is going to end. So I don't have an autistic child, mm-hmm. but if I did... Uh, I would be panicking yeah. because, um, you know, my experience is with a child with Down syndrome. So uh, Down syndrome as a disability does not get any funding and does not get any support. And um, we have always had to fight tooth and nail for anything, any mm-hmm. kind of scraps, the little breadcrumbs that fall off. So I can't speak for how autistic um, families are feeling like families, you know, there are are families who have autistic children and then there are parents with autism who are raising their own families. Right. right? And so it's very complicated and um, their funding is working. Like they say their funding is working for them. Yeah. And I believe them. We, And when I say we, uh, I'll talk about families with uh, kids with Down syndrome. We have always looked at the autism community and gone, oh, my gosh, this is what we want. We want individualized funding where it can be decided by our family Mm -hmm. which speech therapist we're going to see and where we're going to use that funding for occupational therapy or whatever it might be. For people with Down syndrome in this province, we have the Down Syndrome Resource Foundation in Burnaby. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. It's a wonderful place, but not everybody can access it because it's in Burnaby. Right. So they've done some online uh, stuff and it works for some kids with Down syndrome. Mm -hmm. Other kids it doesn't work for. Um, same goes for adults with Down syndrome. But the thing about this announcement was, is it was a, it was just this huge slap in the face for everybody. Mm-hmm. It was a surprise. It was unexpected. It doesn't make any sense. And no one could answer any of our questions. And so, you know, to go to a, a needs-based model is what's most scary, I think, for all parents is a needs-based. So do you understand what that means? What do you mean by needs-based? Needs-based sounds good, but it's apparently not good. It's not good. (laughs) Okay. Because who's deciding what your needs are? Right. Okay. So needs-based versus what is this individualized model called? A diagnosed, diagnosed, right? So you are diagnosed with autism and therefore you get this funding. Got it. That's going to go away. And it does sound... You don't need a diagnosis. Hey, it's all good. You come to this hub and the gates are going to open and you're going to (laughs) walk in this hub and you're going to get everything you need. No, that's not a reality. It does sound... And I I was trying to read up and understand this as well. And you're you're absolutely right. Like, it's very confusing in terms of trying to understand, one, the rationale of what the government is doing. Like, they made this announcement without any details. Mm -hmm. Um, But then also, it did sound like the current model of funding for individualized mm-hmm. autism cases and, and, and folks 
is very empowering. Mm-hmm. So they they can really mm-hmm. pick out the services that will work best for it's them. It's family and their centered, yeah, and it should be family centered when it comes to your child. So and so it sounds also like instead of elevating other disability communities to that level, they're just kind of bringing right. autism so down. There's right? that saying, right? Follow the money. Yeah. Right. So so when you look at it, just as money, they're spending a lot of money on individualized funding for people with autism. Right. Do governments like spending money? No, not no, particularly. not really. <laughs> right? So I think that this all comes down to saving money yeah. and, and, and not supporting all people or all children with disabilities. So when you talk about a needs-based system, right, needs-based, well, and, and moving away from a diagnosed diagnosis needed. No diagnosis needed. You can walk into a hub. You don't need a diagnosis. Well, how does that work for somebody with Down syndrome? Mm. My son was diagnosed the second he was born. Some people with Down syndrome are diagnosed before they're born. Hmm. So now we're... and, And my point about that is, is that somebody with Down syndrome, there's no secrets. We know everything there is to know about Down syndrome. It's been around for a long time. Mm -hmm. There's lots of books written on it. There's parents to talk to. There's adults with Down syndrome to talk to. Um, So a diagnosis is what my son comes with. And I know that he needs speech therapy his entire life. So now that we're moving to a needs-based thing, well, I'm going to go to a hub. And who's going to decide? Who's the gatekeeper that's going to decide what my son needs? Are they going to say, oh, well, he can say a few sentences. He doesn't really need speech therapy now. Hmm. He's 14. He doesn't need it anymore. It's not going to help him anymore. So he doesn't need it anymore. Right. Like, who's making that decision? That's where the That's a good is, question. That's what right? <laughs> and, so that's, and they haven't provided any details on how no that's going to There are no answers. Yeah. We don't know what a hub looks like. We don't know um, who's going to run the hubs. We don't know who is making, who's doing the assessments of all these children. So this hub system is new. So we do not have a hub system here. N- right. That's, that's what I mean. Is yeah. That this what is they're gonna the new create. system. It's, it's going to be brand new and it's not just for kids with autism. It's, but it's for gonna all be... kids with disabilities right. and you don't need a diagnosis. It's just whatever you need. So how are they spinning this as better than what well, they Well, because have? it sounds really wonderful and that you Well, when can you just say needs-based, it sounds yeah, wonderful. you can walk in anywhere, right? And yeah. you, can, you can get what your child needs. We know it's been hard for everybody. Well, yeah, it's been hard. It's been horrible. Yeah. My son is 14 now. I'm a privileged white woman who had a very high-paying high-profile job. And so things should have been extremely easy for me when raising my son. And they haven't been. So imagine what it's like if I'm an indigenous single mother mm-hmm. of a child with an intellectual disability or any kind of a disability. They are not able to even remotely get uh, what they need or what their child needs. So these hubs are supposed to fix that. But we all know that it's not going to work that way. They, they, they have not done the research. They have not done the outreach. Mm. They did, you know, they, they spoke to 1,500 families in this province. I don't know how that is a reflection of what's happening, you know, in our province when it comes to. For all people of disabilities, yes. they only spoke to 1,500 people? Yeah. Wow, that is so that seems, seems like not enough. It's, it, well, it was touted as being very robust. And, right. you know, it's not. And, and so, and listen, it's, everybody keeps saying, oh, this isn't political. This isn't political. It is political. Of course it is, because it's about money. Yeah. It, this isn't about the well-being of children with disabilities in this province. If it is, we would have, you know, changed the funding a long time ago. It's always been lopsided, right? Yeah. Um, you know, one group of a disability gets this individualized funding, and every other disability doesn't. That's not right. Mm-hmm. And it's not, that's not equity, right? That's not, that's not equal for all people with disabilities or children with disabilities in this province. So instead of giving it to everybody, they're now just taking it away from everybody and opening these hubs right. where you can go in and get what you need. But the answers that haven't, that we haven't received are, well, if my son has, 
you know, if, if I have a child with autism who has a behavioral uh, specialist and a speech therapist and maybe some food therapy and, you know, all these other, um, a team, your mm-hmm. team, what happens when these hubs come into play? Like, do I have to abandon my team and start fresh again? That has not been answered. And so what is the government saying when advocates are coming out and asking these questions and say, well, what does this look like? What What is their response being so far? Um, they're is no response. Like I have been in uh, Zoom meetings with the ministry. I have mm-hmm. been in a Zoom meeting with the minister of MCFD, uh, Mitzi Dean. I have, and there are no answers because. So why do they even make this announcement? I, this is what's so baffling to me. Well, I know, and I, I like think if they don't have details. Now they're in what the they now they're in the conversation phase of it. Right. Which is talking to people. <laughs> Which is maybe what they should have done before. Well, they did. They stuff. talked to fifteen hundred right. people who you know, and so I mean there are there are, you know, there are so many disabilities that are never diagnosed because they're so rare. There are a group of uh, children uh, and families, you know, with complex needs, like complex medical needs. That's a whole other Uh, group of disability that, you know, is not getting what they need. Like there's all these different groups that are so lost and, and have no idea where to go or how to get their child the help they need. And, um, and the government doesn't make it easy because there's a gatekeeper at every single level right now. And I don't see how a hub is going to improve that. I don't see, and, and the ministries aren't talking to each other. Why is MCFD, you know, why is the Ministry of Children and Families Development that ha- they also, they're child protection, they're the foster system. Right. Why are they in charge of determining whether my child gets speech therapy or occupational therapy or physical therapy? These are health issues. Yeah. This is something that should be under the Ministry of Health. These are health issues, mm-hmm. not child protection or, you know, when you're talking about a group of, um, you know, single parents or indigenous parents, do you think they want to go to the Ministry of Children and Family Development where those are, they're in, they apprehend children. They take children mm. out of indigenous communities. Yeah. And now I'm going to go to them as an indigenous mother and say, Oh, I, you know, I, I'm struggling here. I'm having a very hard time because my child is acting out. I need a behavioral specialist. It's never going to happen. I have every privilege there is. And I'm terrified of MCFD. (laughs) Like seriously, they apprehend children. They do. They don't keep families together. And so it's a very scary thing for parents all over the province because we are this is coming from a ministry that apprehends children, Yeah, you know? And so it's, it's, it's so complex. It is such a mess and it's supposed to all happen by 2025 when my son will be 17 and he'll be almost aging out of anything. Hmm. And also why are we not talking to the ministry of education with this? You know, all these kids are in school. Well, do you know how many speech therapists there are working for the Vancouver school board? I'm going to guess not many. Not many. (laughs) And each of them have a caseload of two or 300 children. Wow. Per per speech therapist? My my son sees a speech therapist maybe 10 minutes every few months or once a year through the school board. So there's a lot, you know, listen, we talked about hysterical women earlier. You know, you get hysterical, get mad, get emotional. This is why, because you can logically look at this and go, this is not how it should be working. This is not, it is a mess. Yeah. And the other thing I think now that I'm on a rant about all of this is that, you know, the ministers change all the time, right? Mm -hmm. We have, you know, a minister of education now that we didn't have last year and that we, you know, but the people behind the scenes never change. Right. So the bureaucratic you know, arm usually stays they never pretty, pretty they static. never change. Yeah. So when you look at you know who's behind the scenes at MCFD, mm-hmm. there's some people there that have been there for decades. They are lifelong bureaucrats, 
that have moved from, you know, ministry to ministry. Mm-hmm. And nobody's, these are not elected officials. These are bureaucrats who are making massive decisions that are clearly not in the best interests of our kids, uh, especially when it comes to education and health and um, now this new hub system. Yeah. So I don't understand why we're not questioning that more, right? Like we're always like, oh, Mitzi Dean, Mitzi Dean, Mitzi Dean. It's like, well, let's just like look behind the minister for a second and see what's happening here. Mm-hmm. And who is the architect of, the, of this? Right. Like who who decided this was a good idea? I mean, I know, but <laughs> I just think that it really needs to be you know, we concentrate on the on the on the the face. The face, right? Yeah. It's like I don't think that, you know, Minister Dean came in and was like, Okay, we're gonna dismantle everything and we're gonna do this. I think this has probably been in the works for quite some time. So I have very limited experience in talking to parents who have children with disabilities. But every single one that I've talked to, and obviously including yourself, you know, talks about how it's just this constant battle for families to try to get the services that are mm-hmm. needed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about really basic stuff and even stuff that at the start of the school year is allocated. But once the kid is, it is in, in school, suddenly that allocation is divided six different ways, mm-hmm. which it was supposed to be a dedicated mm. resource. You know, I, I've had a few people try to explain it to me. I'm just like, how? How can this system possibly exist when like it it sounds like a mess and I don't understand it is a mess why it's not more at the forefront of because again going back to the special needs talk Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. not a special need it's a need education is a need for everyone actually it's a human right in this country Um, we all have the right to be educated and uh, many of our kids are not being educated. I can tell you from personal experience that my son is not receiving an education in high school in Vancouver. Definitely 100% not. He's in a segregated classroom. He is um, not getting any academics. Um, the art he brings home uh, is usually, you know, some kind of weird painting on the side of a cardboard box. Um, on the side of a cardboard box? Yes. Not yes. proper canvas or uh, not even like some full scap like, wow. or whatever that paper is called. You know, remember yeah. like the art paper we yeah. would get? No, none of that. And so wow. I'm not allowed to go into his classroom because COVID. Oh, right. And, okay. um, you know, he gets dropped off behind the school where, you know, all the school buses and delivery trucks and all that are. Uh, when I ask questions about like, hey, what kind of ventilation system do we have in the school? The principal doesn't know. I mean, I don't know how you're the principal of a big high school in Vancouver. <laughs> you don't know what kind of ventilation you have in a pandemic. Yeah. Um, I have, um, you know, I have asked about what he does in a day and I get, a, you know, a roundabout kind of answer. I've asked, what what is cafeteria duty? Oh, well, they stack the orange juice boxes. They. And um, I've made it clear that my son isn't at school to stack orange juice boxes yeah. for the other kids. And, That's weird. Well, no, it's not weird. It's an everyday occurrence in this province for kids with intellectual disabilities, for sure. Huh. Um, and because not all, and when I ask, oh, do the other kids do that too? Oh, well, no, they, no, they don't. But I, they could if they wanted to. Well, no, like, so, you know, there's this real disconnect about what inclusion is. Inclusion doesn't mean that my son just shows up at school and he gets mm. to be there. That's not inclusion. And so when I asked about what mainstream classes he was in this term, yeah, um, he was in dance. And last year, all of grade eight, the only mainstream class he was in was dance. Okay. Exactly. And so when I asked about, and then I got the talk, well, you know, I don't think he can like go into like, you know, a grade nine English class. Well, I know that. Yeah. I know that. I don't have this expectation or or fantasy land that my husband, my husband. <laughs> oh, 
my God. I don't know what happened there. I said fantasy <laughs> and my husband in the same thing. Oh my God. I'm sorry about that. No, no. <laughs> I drifted. I don't have this idea that my son should sit in an algebra class or a social studies class or something. But he, there are mainstream classes that he can be in. Yeah. You know, and so I really had to fight for it. Like, why can't he be in an art class? Yeah. Well, really, out of all the classes, why is he painting on a cardboard box from recycling? Can he not go into an art class? Oh, well, we don't know if there's any room and we don't know. No, that's your job. Yeah. To educate him. What about the cooking class? You know, all those classes, learning to do those things. What about PE? Can he not go in a mainstream PE class? Mm-hmm. You know, and so those things don't exist and we have to fight for them. And I will tell you one thing that makes me really bananas is when I do decide to say something on social media, especially on Twitter. And I've really had to step back from Twitter because I, I end up doom scrolling a lot, right? And I, we all do, it, sure. it makes me very angry, right? Yeah. Because there's a lot to be angry about right now. Um, but I will, you know, I will tweet something about my son at school and I can set my watch to it. I will get a call from the principal. Really? Mm-hmm. And, oh. And I've had it at every principal I've ever had in the last- And what does the call usually entail? It asks me to take down the tweet. Interesting. Because their manager at the school board has asked them to call me. <laughs> and so what does that tell you? So if if that is happening to me, so they're not addressing the issue that you're bringing. No, up they in don't the want me to say anything, they right? Just don't want because you to. so so here's what it says to me. Yeah, it says to me that um, they're trying to control me. Yeah, they don't want me to speak out and say something. But even more so, they're tasking the principal to call me and 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 have a talk with me. Which is so uncomfortable for the principal. And yeah. I don't mean just at the school I'm at. It happened in elementary school, too. We had three different principals, and they all had to take their turns talking to me about whatever it might be, right? Mm. Um, and it's, it's so demeaning to the principal. And I got to tell you, even as an adult, when I get a call from the principal... It's kind of scary. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of scary. We've been socialized you know? as children yes. to fear that call or that yeah, type when of I come reprimand. Home, yeah. When I come home and my husband's like, uh, the principal just called from back at school. <laughs> His number's on the counter. And I'm like, uh-oh. And yeah. he's like, what did you do this time? And I'm like, I think it was the tweet. And he's like, oh, God. You know? So it's it's just – so if that's happening to me, can you imagine how – Somebody who does not have, you know, uh, you know, uh, a platform, if you will, or a big voice, or isn't scared, or is white, you know. Yeah. I mean, those are the realities. Yeah. Well, I think I think you're a great advocate on Twitter, and you and you bring a lot of people who are unaware of what's happening into, you know, giving them a little insight into into these issues. You, I mean, Gabrielle Peters is one of my favorite. Twitter mm-hmm. follower mm-hmm. follows, I should say. Uh, you know, I learned so much even from her as mm-hmm. well. And these are important because if you're not in those worlds, you have no idea. And it, and it is. I mean, you you brought up this idea of curb cuts. You know, that's one that is so obvious, but we don't see it if you don't live it, yeah. or, or unless someone points it out. Exactly. And once you see it, you can't you can't unsee it. You know, and then you learn like, oh, there's eight thousand curbs that need to be cut in Vancouver, but they don't even have a database of like what needs to be cut and what the progress is. Mm -hmm. And and it was, it was interesting. I I was kind of digging around because I wanted to write a piece about, you know, the progress they're making and, you know, are they going to finish this in 20 years or whatever? And when you ask the city, okay, what's the backlog of curb cuts? They'll tell, they'll tell you 276. Mm. And so I said, so I went, you know, back to a disability advocate and I said, they're saying 276, but the number Mm -hmm. is like in the thousands, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, they're talking about uh, curbs that have directly, be, like someone has directly complained about them. Mm-hmm. And usually those complaints, and this is not, this is, uh, I'm, I'm trying to be fair here, I'm not making a judgment, but usually those complaints are from mothers or, or parents pushing strollers. Mm-hmm. They don't come from mm-hmm. people with disabilities because they know that it takes forever to get the, the curb cut. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so now those complaints are at the top of the line, but the the city itself doesn't seem to really have a database on like, 
what needs to be cut or if they mm-hmm. do they 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 obscure mm-hmm. the the real data and yeah how how can you even fix a problem when you're not being transparent of okay here is the problem here's right. what here's what needs to be fixed like yeah. in this in this one issue of curb cuts and it just feels like in this realm of people with disabilities so many challenges but we're not even transparent about there's what the no money is what the services is well, how things work where what happened to we, at the beginning of the pandemic or near the beginning we got all this federal money for schools and we there was talk about you know changing air systems and air quality and all that. And that's why I asked you that question of the supports and the relief. And you were like, what supports the relief? And I was like, I don't know. I thought there was a bunch out there. (laughs) But where is it? We don't know. Yeah. Who's on all these committees, a safe school and this and that, like we, who, who's on, who is making the decisions about what teachers and EAs and support workers and students need to be safe? Like, who are the names of these people? What lenses do you have on it? Do you have a disability lens on it? Do you have, you know, like, you, what lenses do you have? We don't know because there is no transparency. And I think that, you know, when you think about before the pandemic, in the before times, when we were talking about schools, we were talking about how they're not seismically, you know, right. safe. Yeah. Well, guess what? That hasn't changed. Yeah. They're still the same. We were talking about lead in the pipes, Guess what? There's still lead in the pipes in a lot of schools, most. <laughs> you know, those things haven't changed. Portables, something that is so visible. Exactly. Right? Portables that don't have sinks in them yeah. in a pandemic. Portables that don't have proper heat in them. Yeah. Portables that don't have windows that open. Or if they do, they have one little window. I mean, these are all things that haven't changed and haven't improved. And I think that what we're seeing and why we're so frustrated is that. I think a lot of people thought with a change of government, there would be these big changes. There's a lot of high expectations, yeah. And we haven't seen that. Yeah. And, you know, I don't want to be driving down the street and see, uh, you know, a political billboard about how great we are with our forests. I don't need any PR right now. We should not be spending any taxpayer money on PR. It should all be money spent on informing us and educating us on how we can stay safe and what we need to do to stay safe and putting that money into being safe. Yeah. Giving us what we need to be safe, you know, for our children and for all of that. Because, I mean, I can't even begin to talk to you about how, you know, my child is not getting an education. But that has become a second worry for me because my first worry is to keep him safe in his segregated classroom where I have no idea if any of the windows open and I have no idea what the air filter is like in there. So what's even more frustrating in hearing all this is that you are in this world, you are an advocate, you are, you, you, you have a platform, you are very involved. I'm on the outside. I'm going, none of this makes sense to me. I come to you and you're saying, Mm -hmm. yeah, none of this makes sense. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so exactly we, right. Where do we even start then? Well, How this do we... is the problem. And yeah. and the other thing is, is if I I haven't even talked to my friends about this whole hub situation. Yeah. And if I do mention it to them, they have no idea what I'm talking about. Because again, it's not their world right now. Yeah. Whether they maybe they you know they don't have a child with a disability, so they don't need to know about it. Or maybe somebody sees it on the news, or they hear it on the radio, or they see it in the paper, and they're like, oh, this doesn't apply to me. It actually does apply to you because it's millions and millions and millions of your money. Yeah. It's your taxpayer money. And it does matter to you. It matters to all of us. It matters to my child and, you know, thousands of other children getting what they need to be healthy and safe and learn how to talk or learn how to eat mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever it may be that they need. But more importantly, it affects all of us. Like we are a community. If this pandemic hasn't taught us that, you know, community care is the most important thing, I I don't know what will change it, right? We should all be outraged about this because it doesn't make sense. And it is just a bunch of bureaucrats trying to save money at the Mm. expense of the most vulnerable children in our province, children with disabilities. Yeah. We are running overtime, but Sorry. clearly there's a reason why we why we do two hour podcasts. 
I just, I just want to say this. Uh, I, and I only realized this once I, once everything was booked last year, the last two episodes of 2020 were Bowen Ma and Tamara Taggart. Mm. And this year, weirdly enough, I mean, it was topical. It was kind of things fell into place. Same thing. No way. Time is a flat circle. I've never met her. <laughs> oh, she's wonderful. I, I mean, know. We had, we, had a, we had a great chat. It was it was a great uh, episode as well. I, I yeah. I mean, I, I just find that I'm I'm very much uh, attracted to talking to people that I learn from and that I feel are being genuine. And you are definitely one of those people. And uh, again, on a personal level, like I said, you've always been there. I want people to know that. And I think, again, as, a, as an advocate, I think you're always there and providing some great information. So I mm. want to thank you for that. I know you are very anxious, but I hope you and your family have a wonderful 2022. I hope it turns around and mm-hmm. we're, we're back to puppies and rainbows. And uh, uh, you know, puppies some, and rainbows. Some sense of normalcy. It would be really wonderful. And, I, you know, I do want to say to you, too, I find you, you know, I, I really enjoy you. And, I mean, I think we're, you know, unexpected friends, right? Like, it's, it's you know, we never knew each other before. You, I think you asked to come to, like a campaign rally thing or whatever. And, and I was like, oh, yeah, come. And you were like, oh, my God, I can't believe you replied to me. And then, <laughs> and then from there, uh, you know, a friendship uh, flourished. And it's great. And I, and, and I find that's what my life is now, right? Yeah. Like, it's, it's kind of been this time to sort of regroup and surround totally. myself with people that um, I find interesting and, and uh, that I can share, you know, thoughts with. And I like people who challenge me and I like to challenge people. And at the end of the day, I think that you and I both always want the same thing. And that's totally. for everybody to just get along and support <laughs> each other, you know, and like, let's get out of this mess. Like, yeah. We need to support each other to get out of this mess. We yeah. really do. You Absolutely. Know? Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. I do hope you come back on this year, 2022. Yes. We'll, we'll make it happen again. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell Derek to uh, a lot, two hours for the podcast yeah. part so we can do it properly. Exactly. But I, but I really do appreciate this last words of wisdom before we sign off here. Oh my goodness. I don't know. I think it's, you know, I think it's a good year to clean house and, you know, really think about the things that don't don't serve you, whether they're people or situations and, you know, just, you know, leave it gently behind and we can all move forward in a positive way. And do that relentlessly. Relentlessly. Your word of 2021. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Tamara. Thanks, Mo. Folks, that's our podcast, The Icon, for the fourth time on this podcast. Please do check out the Telus Talks podcast, which she hosts. Which she hosts some really interesting conversations, especially around health. Uh, please also take a look at Down Syndrome BC to find out how you can support her new charity. She is my friend, my informal mentor, like in a cool way. <laughs> she is Tamara Taggart, and I am Mo Amir, telling you that in a city where you can be anything, be colorful. Peace. Yeah.